morning is going to come from Matthew 11, 25 to 30. Let me read this text for us, and then I'll introduce our speaker. Matthew eleven twenty five to 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who, are lab- who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden, my burden is light. Amen. It's a reading of God's word. And during this time, I want to introduce, again, Pastor Matthew Trexler. He's going to be giving us the word of God this morning. Good morning. It is great to be with you guys. Um, I can't exactly see your faces, but I know they're beautiful. So, um, you look great this morning. You got that going for you. Uh, My name is Matt Trexler, and I really have a very simple goal this morning And the goal is to take us back to the basics of Jesus and who he is and his character. uh, One of my former pastors, Sinclair Ferguson, he's written all these books. He's a famous theologian. And I asked him one time, I was like, hey, you're super smart. Uh, Tell me, like, something that's going to, like, blow my mind. Like, what do I, you know, like, I just want to know something I've never thought before. And he looked at me and he said, oh, no. He has a Scottish person, so he has a wicked cool Scottish accent. He's like, oh, no, Trex, you don't need to know newer, deeper things. You need a deeper grasp of the basic thing. Um, except he said it in his wicked cool Scottish accent. So I was like, oh, you don't need to know newer, deeper things. You need a deeper grasp of the basic thing. Which sounds so much more amazing coming out of that voice than it does out of my backwoods South Carolina accent, which is fun. But I want us to look at this idea that we do not need to know newer, deeper things. We need a deeper grasp of the basic thing, the basic truths of Jesus. So in order to do that, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this microphone helps people to hear my voice, but it does not help people to hear your voice. And we need the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray and I ask you in the name of Christ that I may disappear and stand behind the cross and that today the love of Christ, the love of the Father, the love of the Spirit Spirit radiates to this place and in our hearts that we may leave loving, enjoying, worshiping and knowing your son more and father you please revealed by your grace in jesus name i pray amen let me ask you a question who is the greatest person that you've ever met the greatest person that you've ever met i moved to la three and a half years ago and you know i grew up in south carolina i didn't really see celebrities ever um unless they were like worked for nascar but let me just (laughs) I really wanted to see a celebrity, right? Like, I just really wanted to. And, and for two years, I never saw one. Like, my students would. They're like, Kanye West was at the local Denny's. And they're like, Christian Bale came out of the In-N-Out bathroom. I'm like, no, I missed it. And then, y'all, let me tell you, in 20, a Sunday in 2017, 
I hit the mother load, okay? Let me just set the scene for you. I'm walking down Wilshire Boulevard in Beverly Hills, which is what I do on a Sunday, right? Just strolling along, and then they turned the corner. The three least likely people you would ever imagine to be together. Justin Timberlake, Kate Winslet, and Jim Belushi. Um, They were coming out of a private screening of the movie Wonder Wheel, and uh, they were walking towards me, and I don't know what would go through your mind in that moment, um, but I was like, oh my gosh, this would be the greatest selfie of all time, right? Like, I could take a picture with them, caption it like, look, mom, I made friends in LA, like, throw it up on Instagram, get like tens of likes, like, this would be amazing. And I was like, no, 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 that's what tourists do, right? Like, that's what newbies do. I'm not that person anymore. I've lived here for like three years. I'm now an Angelino, not really, but that's what I thought. And so I said, what I'm going to do is as they approach me, I'll say something funny to JT and he'll like laugh and he'll be like, hey, (laughs) I don't know that guy, but that was really cool and funny what he said. I'd probably hang out with him. Like, that's what I was like, yes, that's what I'll settle on. But as they got closer, my, my pulse starts picking up And I'm like, okay, what do I say? What funny thing do I say to them? And the only thing that was blazoned into my mind was this image of Justin Timberlake from the 1990s with Britney Spears where they're wearing all denim, you know what I'm talking about, at the MTV Movie Awards. And I'm like, get out of my head, get out of my head, get out of my head. And he's getting closer, and I'm like, let's just go for it. And I'm like, JT, Mr. Timberlake, over here. And he turns, and I'm like, I loved when you were with Britney Spears. And he just goes walks by, and y'all, the look that all three of them gave me made me crumple up into a ball of shame. You could have taken my shame and turned it into an alternative fuel source, and I could have powered my car for five years, right? It was like middle school all over again, but a hundred times worse. Um, And I learned something about myself in that moment. I learned that in the presence of greatness, I have no idea what to say. Right? Like, I just kind of fall apart. Like, if I saw Nick Saban on the street, like, what am I going to do, swap success stories with him? Like, yeah, I get lunch with college students for a living. Like, what, what do I say to people like that? And the reason I bring that up is because I've noticed something, that I get very nervous when I read the Gospels. Because Jesus is kind of saying, and the Gospel writers are saying, that this is the greatest person that you will ever meet. John the Baptist said, I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. And I get a little nervous because I'm like, if I ever approached Jesus, or I ever met Jesus, what would I say to him? What would he say to me? Because if you look at it, there are people in the Gospels that come up to him, the rich young ruler, the Canaanite woman, the Roman centurion, they all get different responses. What would he say to me? And that kind of raises a very real question. How do I know that I'm even welcome to approach Jesus? How do I know that I can really trust him? So what I want to do is I want to explore this passage through the lens of approaching Jesus. How does he want us to come to to him? And I want to look at this passage in three ways. I want to look at the qualification, the revelation, and the invitation. First, the qualification At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. I'm a college pastor. 
And sometimes I get frustrated in college ministry, right? I love my job, but sometimes it can get frustrating where students are not following the impeccable logic coming out of my mouth, right? Um, <laughs> just kidding. Or like you have like a guy's Bible study and like someone's like, yeah, but I had so much food at Deneb Dining Hall. Like, I think I need all night to digest, maybe next week. And you're just like, no. And yes, there's a lot of tons of sinful pride in that on my part. But I'm also kind of encouraged by the fact that Jesus even sometimes gets frustrated in ministry. People are not actually hearing the words that he's saying. Um, And instead of that turning into anger or even cynicism or frustration in the sinful way, he takes that and turns it into praise before the Father. Father, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and given it to little children. I'm... I'm always surprised by the people in RUF at UCLA that really come to get it, that really come to get the gospel. I had one student that showed up for two years and sat in the back, and he came to every large group meeting, either drunk or high. And I was like, I love this guy. Like, I think he's like one of my favorite people. I will hang out with him. But he's probably not getting anything out of this, right? Like, that's, that was kind of my thought, you know. And then right before he graduates in June... Last year, you know, he looked at me and he said, hey, the last few years I want you to know, I, you know, I really never believed that God loved me, but now I know he does. Now I know that Jesus does. And I don't know about you, but I rejoice in stories like that. And I think we rejoice in stories like that because Jesus rejoices in stories like that. Thank you, Father, that you have revealed this to little children. And I think that says something about the way in which... Jesus wants you and I to approach him. Because you would think, you would think that to follow Jesus, to really be a committed, sold-out disciple for Christ, you have to be rich in spirit. You've got to be victorious in spirit. But what is it that Jesus said at the opening of the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the poor in spirit. In spirit. Blessed are those who are brokenhearted. Blessed are the little people of the earth, the meek. Blessed are those who are starving for righteousness. That's what he means by hungering and thirsting after righteousness. You don't hunger and thirst after something that you have. He says, blessed are you basically who fail and feel your failure. Blessed are you who are spiritually inadequate and know it. Blessed are you. As one commentator, Dale Bruner, said, it is the dispirited who live before God. And it is the marvelously spiritual who often expire from God's presence. See, the thing is that we, the things that are actually keeping us from really coming to Jesus, even as believers, is namely our own feeling of inadequacy. But that feeling of inadequacy, Jesus is saying, is the very thing that qualifies you to come to me. It's actually far more dangerous to think, I'm doing really well. Like, I think I love pretty well. You know, like, I am actually killing it spiritually. Like, those are the people that, this kind of frightens me a little bit. The end of the Sermon on the Mount, people come to Jesus in his story, and they, and Jesus says, many come to him and say, Lord, did we not preach awesome sermons in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do all of these things? And Jesus will say, I think with tears in his eyes, I actually never knew you. I did not know you. 
Because Jesus knows the meek and the humble and those who spiritually fail and feel it. St. Augustine said it is God's wonderful purpose that he prefers to choose his people from the humble masses rather than from the leaders who might adorn Christ's name with their excellence. And here's the problem. Here's a really big problem for me. I want to be great, right? Like, not like in the, like, obvious way. Not with, like, sparkling white teeth and a spray tan and, like, what, you know, best-selling author who flies around on jets, you know, and, like, right? like, that's too obvious. I just want everyone in my small, respectable circles to think that I'm awesome all the time. Jesus, if you could do that, that would be amazing, right? And I'll just share with you this. I, I shared this with the RUF campus ministers at training this summer in Texas. I was like, I have... I have in my mind's eye what is the ideal Matt Trexler day, right? The ideal campus minister Matt Trexler day that if this could just happen, I would feel so good about myself. This is my fantasy day. None of this is true. But this is my fantasy day. I wake up at 6 a.m. before my alarm goes off, totally refreshed, you know, and just with a, I wake up, y'all, with a smile because this is the day the Lord has made. And I will rejoice, right? And then I, like, make a power breakfast. I read through Psalm 119, which I memorize on the spot. You know, and then I just go to LA Fitness or La Fitness, whatever, and like do like a two hour workout, feeling amazing. And y'all, I don't want to add to my carbon footprint, so I'll just jog to campus, right? Or ride my bike or whatever. I'll jog to campus. And as I get there, on the corner of Strathmore and Gailey, I see a group of students and I just strike up a conversation with them out of the blue. And they're instantly converted. I mean, just like that. And by the time we get to the center of campus, they're all singing Jesus paid it all, right? Like, and they're high-fiving me, and Jesus is up, you know, high-fiving me up in heaven. And, uh, and, and they're like, hey, we're going to come to RUF tonight, and we're bringing all of our friends. And I'm like, cha-ching, this is awesome. And then I meet with students on campus. I get coffee with them, and I just, you know, hour by hour, I meet with different students one-on-one. And they're setting up their problems, and I'm knocking them down with my impeccable flawless wisdom um and uh and then that later that night at ruf everyone who's ever been a part of our ministry and all of their friends come and i just feel great and here's the thing that's usually not how it goes um and then i get frustrated with myself and i kind of beat myself up and i have to realize jesus didn't call me to be a campus minister because i'm really awesome at being his disciple or that I'm like the spiritual NFL elite. He knew exactly who he was calling. He knew that I struggled deeply with anxiety and pride and all kinds of things. And I wonder, maybe in a different way, maybe it's more relatable to say to this, like maybe you say, you know, I just want to be the best mom that I can. I want to be the best dad that I can. I want to be the best brother, the best friend, the best worker, the best boss, the be- whatever it may be, the best Christian that I can. Those are good things, very good things. But you must never forget that you are never able to perfectly fulfill all of your duties. You are not able to even perfectly fulfill all of your duties to the Lord. We always have something missing. There's always something that's there. I think when the rich young ruler came up to Jesus and he said, all these things I have kept from my youth, I think he meant it. I think he really did. But Jesus shows him that yet one thing is, one very big gaping thing is missing, that he did not have love. And I, that story messes with me a little bit, but Jesus is showing us that 
as try as hard as we might, we still fail in the duties before the Lord. Maybe some of you feel that failure. Maybe you feel it in your marriage or your family. Maybe you feel emotionally burnt out from this year. Maybe financially you feel like you're failing. Maybe spiritually. The good news is that Jesus says it is those who feel their failure that are actually welcome to come to me. And they're welcome to see me. And they're welcome to see my Father. Because it is those who feel their failure and burden in sin and are sorry for it and come asking for help that find in Jesus' Father's Jesus' Father, open arms. And that's really the second thing, which is the revelation. Jesus reveals the Father to us. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. I've learned this in ministry. And I've learned this in my own walk. That I think you and I and many people The idea of meeting God is one of the most terrifying experiences in the world. The idea of having to meet God is terrifying. What would he say to us? What does he really think about you? How does God really see you? And I've had to even talk about this even in counseling. Like, I really do think many times that God is just disappointed in me. That that's how he sees me. Sinclair Ferguson, the guy I quoted at the beginning, said, This is fundamental to know because... Who you are and the way you live reflects who you think God is and what kind of character you believe he has. It's actually fundamental to know. Which is why I think that if you look at Jesus' ministry in the four Gospels, he is at pains to reveal something. He is at pains to reveal the character of his father. You notice that? In the parables that he tells, a father who scans the horizon looking for his lost son, a father who's like a generous landowner who gives to his children without partiality, a father who hears the cries of widows who need justice and answers. And then he says things like, which of you, if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for fish, would give him a snake? Jesus belabors this. Why? Because Jesus knows that we have a really, 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 really hard time believing that God is as good as he is. In fact, Jesus said, I alone have the authority to even reveal him. I alone can do that. And what Jesus wants us to see is that our Heavenly Father is tender and good and gracious and generous to us. Let's think about that that one thing, generosity. That is the one thing about God we are most apt to, to doubt. We are so quick to doubt the generosity of God. Why is that? It all goes back to a garden. When a serpent looks at the woman and says, Did God really say you couldn't eat of any of the trees in this garden? It's not what he said. But what does that lie say? What is the serpent getting at? You think he loves you. But does he? He's keeping something from you. That's why you don't have this thing. Or... You see that problem that's going on. He does this today, too. You see that what's going on in your life? You see the fact that your family is sick? You see the fact that you didn't get that job? You see the fact that you continue to fail over and over again? You see what people really say about you and think about you? He doesn't love you, does he? He doesn't really love you. That's what the serpent does. He rears his head, and he says he doesn't love you. And the serpent's words have acted like venom, poisoning the human heart to God ever since. 
We still believe this. And Jesus, the new Adam, has come to show us what the Father is like. He holds up a mirror and he says, what do you see? Not only what do you see about yourself, but what do you see about my Father? I heard this story one time about a kid named Will. He was, um, he was in foster care. He was an orphan. He was shipped from foster home to foster home because he would act up and then he would get kicked out. And finally, this Christian couple adopted him and they loved Will. Well, one day, Will steals $20 from his mom's purse. And the dad confronts him and says, this is not okay. You have to go to your room. And he marches upstairs and he begins to break everything in his room. He's just screaming, ugly crying, just like everything is just falling apart. And the dad's confused. He goes upstairs and he looks and he finds Will under the bed, pounding his fist on the ground. And he says, do not send me away. Do not send me away. Do not send me away. The dad says, we're we're not going to send you away. And he realized, the dad realized in that moment that he has never experienced a real father. He has no idea what a loving father is like. And so he gets up next to Will, and he holds Will in his arms, and they cry together for like 30 minutes. And he just says to himself, I want Will to know what a real dad is like. And the Lord gets up next to us. The Lord Jesus gets up next to us in our fear and our anxiety and our shame. And he says, I want you to know what your heavenly father is really like. He does not just barely tolerate you. He's not just angry. Jesus has exclusive heart to the Heavenly Father. And he says, all who are burdened and heavy laden and weary, come to me and I will show you my Father. I will open the door and I will bring you in. And you will know in the very depths of your soul and all of your being that he loves you. That you do not have to play this game, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, no, he loves you. And that's one of the reasons why we're weary, isn't it? Because deep down, we just want to be loved. We were made for it. I want to be loved. And we've tried our whole life to be loved. I have too. And Jesus knows that we are weary because of it. And he opens the door and he says, Do you want to know the God who is love? Let me bring you to the Father. And not only that, when I show you the Father, I will also show you my character too. I will reveal my own character. And if I could retranslate what he says, I would say, it would be, I am meek, I am winsome, and I am low-key. And to the person who is struggling with guilt and the pride of life and everything that they're going through, the news that Jesus is meek and winsome and low-key is some of the best news that you could ever hear. You know what that means? That Jesus looks at you and he says, you can tell me absolutely anything. You can tell me absolutely anything. What is it about Jesus that people felt comfortable around him? The kind of people like the Samaritan woman or Peter when he was afraid or an anxious Martha. What is it that made them at ease in front of the Savior? Have you ever been around those people who, when you're around them, you just, when you're around them, you just feel like you're at rest? I just feel safe here. Jesus is the very gentleness of God incarnate. And he invites us. This is the third and final thing, the invitation. Do you want to know this? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will, you will find rest for your souls. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, there's always at this point in the sermon and this point in the service where a doubt begins to creep in. Is this really true? Is this really true? And maybe it's true, but can I actually experience this? Is this true for me? And I don't know about you, but that's usually me. That's usually me because I begin to wonder. I hear all these great promises, and I wonder how they could actually be true in my actual daily Monday through Saturday life, right? I mean, sometimes we come to church, and it feels like the Narnia kids, right, when they go through the wardrobe, and they're like, wow, this is amazing. This is, you know, and then you go out the doors back into L.A., and you're like, back to the real world. Thanks, Peter Pan, for taking us to Neverland, right? Like, this is not really how real life works. Or sometimes we hear these promises of the gospel, and they feel so divorced from what we daily experience. I love the show The Office. I don't know if you guys have watched the show. Um, one of the most cringeworthy episodes, which is also my favorite, is the, show, is the episode Scott's Tots. I don't know. Basically, Michael Scott, played by Steve Carell, promises this group of third graders that he will, if they graduate high school, he will pay for their entire college tuition. He like, makes a covenant before them, like, I'm going to do it. And, he's like, and he was like, I've made many empty promises in my life. But hands down, this one was the most generous, right? And uh, he eventually, like 10 years later, 9 years later, has to go back to these kids. They're like singing his praises. They're like, you're our guardian angel. You helped me get through high school. And he has to look at all of them and say, I know I promised this, but um, I actually can't pay for your college tuition. But there are laptops, and everyone's kind of getting a little bit more excited. And for laptops, you need batteries, lithium batteries. Everyone today gets a lithium battery. You get a battery, and you get a battery, and we all get batteries. And I sometimes feel like that's the Christian life. That's sometimes how it feels. You read Romans, the Everest of grace, and it's like we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Yea, we rejoice even in our own sufferings. And then you kind of look at your life, and you're like, yeah, and my car's not working. And I just, you know what, I don't really feel like this. Like, this is not really working. I feel like I'm getting the spiritual equivalent of batteries. In my life. So here's the thing. It's one thing to promise rest. And it's a whole other thing to give it. So what is Jesus. How does Jesus do this? This. We, this is such a familiar passage. If you grew up in the church. That we have to be really careful. I really tell my students. When you read the Bible. Slow way, 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 way down. And actually look at what it's saying. Because look even at this passage. What does Jesus say? Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you a nap. Not what he says. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you an afternoon off. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you an extended vacation, which would be awesome. Um, And we all need that. But that's not what he says. What does he say? Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you my yoke. Which is work equipment. Like, I don't know if you know that. That's kind of frustrating. Like, you're like, is that adding insult to injury? Like, I'm really exhausted. I'm really tired. Okay, here's my yoke. Here's actually like this thing that you put around like an ox. Like, here's what you would actually, you're like, what are you talking about? Like, even if it's light and easy, like, it's still a yoke. It's still work equipment. What is Jesus saying? I do want to give you rest for your souls, but it will not come in a moment. It will come as you learn to walk with me. And I want to teach you to carry life in a whole new way. And then you will find rest for your souls. Learn from me. This is a process. I invite you to be with me. So what is it that really gives rest? Because, let's, I mean, let's, just to push a little bit, 
Is the Sermon on the Mount light? Is self-denial easy? What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that as I think, as you follow me, you will fail. You will fail. But you will find me to be not a police officer who comes and like throws you back into the jail cell of my disfavor. I'm not going to be like Professor Snape right, and criticize you. Right? What you're going to find is that I'm actually forgiving and good. And that you're going to be at ease in my presence because you're going to know who I really am and who you really are right now in me. And as you follow me and as we go through life, you'll begin to rest. You will be refreshed by my presence and who I am. And that requires a whole new way of living and a whole new walk. One theologian said we have to slow way down to catch up to Jesus. We have to slow way down to catch up to Jesus. But in L.A. and in America, right, we are addicted to the size and the speed and the greatness of it all, right? Like, and, I, and I love the books I'm about to say, but like, look at the bestseller Christian books. Radical, crazy love, relentless, everybody, always, right? Like passion, which is held at Atlanta's infinite energy center. Which, I mean, that's great. We need that. But sometimes Jesus works in the mustard seeds, and he works in the slow growth and soils and sun and salt and the ordinary things. And that Jesus maybe is asking us to slow down. That maybe the greatest confession we can make is the confession of John the Baptist. I'm not the Messiah. I cannot meet every need that is presented to me. I'm actually finite, which I'm learning as a campus minister. I'm, I'm just one person. My mentor Kelly Capick said... You need to stop asking for God's forgiveness that you can't do everything. And you need to ask his forgiveness that you ever even imagined you could. That Jesus invites us to say, you are weary and heavy laden. Be in my presence and know that I am God. I think there's a lot of freedom in saying what you're not. I'm not the Messiah. I am not the Christ. And we can take on Jesus' light yoke. And he can shoulder that burden for us as we walk through life because he remembers our frame and he knows that we are dust. Do you want that? Jesus invites you. Approach me. All that is required is that you feel weary. And it doesn't matter how well you approach him. All that matters is that you approach him. I want to end with this story from the Gospel of Mark. One of my favorite images. A woman who is hemorrhaging blood. She's had a disease for 18 years. But she's afraid to come to Jesus. She's afraid to look him in the eyes. So what does she do? She, go, she waits until he's in a crowd. And she comes up behind him. And touches just the hem of his robe. And she's healed. I love that image. That that is given to the church. By God. Why? Because I think what it's saying is that when life's pressures are mounting and you feel fearful, there is always room for you, always room for you to come up behind Jesus and touch just the hem of his robe. And he will turn to you and he will look at you and he will love you. He will pardon you and forgive you and he will say, come and follow me. And all my paths are steadfast love and faithfulness. All my ways are good. Come walk my path at my pace. He is truly the greatest person that you will ever meet. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for giving us your son. And I pray 
today, Lord, that you are the one who's remembered. And I pray, Lord, that Jesus, you are the one that we worship and adore and enjoy because all the things said this morning are just about you. And it's who you are. Anything I pray that was untrue, let it be forgotten. But anything that is true and of you, may it be remembered and may it be treasured. In Jesus' name, amen.